Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you will learn how to build a scalable process and content marketing organization without a big budget or a ton of freelancers. My guest today is the editor-in-chief at BigCommerce, where she covers all things e-commerce, including marketing, design, development, strategy, plus emerging trends, including words I don't really understand, like omnichannel or cloud replatforming. So she's often featured in publications like Forbes, Entrepreneur, Meshable, Elle, uh, and plenty of others. She launched her career in e-commerce with Y Combinator and a startup called Shoptix. What's interesting about her, and that's probably one of the best biography I've ever read about my guest, is that she's a fifth generation Texan and a third generation family business owner. So her grandfather actually started the Fred Clark Fell Company in 1953, manufacturing cotton, fill and pillows for businesses across the South. What's interesting here is that it has nothing to do with what we're going to discuss, but it has everything to do about where she's from and I suspect a lot of grit and a lot of ambition based on her family history. And as her personal mantra, she likes to write content that her own family will be able to read, learn from, and put actionable steps in place to increase sales. So Tracy Wallace, let's see what you've got. Hi, thank you so much for, for having me. I'm excited to be here. So right before we started to record this, uh, this, this episode, you started to talk to me about the fact that one year ago, you probably would have never kind of talked about this topic, this topic of building this scalable process um, and content marketing organization when you don't have a lot of budget or not a lot, of, not a ton of freelancers. So tell me more about what you mean by this. Yeah, so I've been over here at BigCommerce, gosh, for almost four years now and was in content marketing roles before that and then was in the journalism world before that. And my experience historically with using partners or free people, so people who want backlinks or want to be featured by your brand for content for your blog, at least a year ago would have been, don't dare do it. They write terrible content. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your editing resources. You can write it better and you can distribute it better. Just plain don't waste your time. And it was probably the most annoying thing to my partner marketing organization here and my, my counterparts. But since then, we have altered quite a few things, as I was mentioning uh, before this recording, but I'll say again now for everybody, the Commerce's content marketing team is three people. We drive more than a million page views, have more than 400,000 individuals coming to the site uh, every single month. We do write quite a bit of our own content, but we rely very, very heavily on our partners to write content for us because we have no dedicated in-house writer and no real budget. That doesn't mean that the budget is like huge. You can spend whatever. It means like literally try to spend zero dollars. So that is hmm. what we do. Right. So before we dive in into how you actually do that, because I'm super interested in this topic. One of the reasons is, as, as listeners know, I also work for Hotjar and this is basically my role, leading the content. And I think it's interesting for me personally, so I will be asking a lot of questions, but also interesting for, for a lot of you listening to this podcast, because I think a lot of you are figuring, trying to figure out how to do content. But content marketing is a buzzword. I mean, it's becoming a buzzword. Everyone is talking about it. So perhaps 
Before we dive in a step-by-step on how you actually do that, how to actually scale without freelancers and with partners, what is content marketing for you? Why is it important? Why are you employed by big commerce to do it? Sure. So content marketing is the writing of content to earn consumer trust and interest or prospect trust and interest um, in order to really kind of touch them at the very top of the funnel bring them into the funnel, and then educate them throughout it, ideally hoping that uh, they then choose your platform. And it's important and becoming more and more important because millennials and Gen Z in particular have grown up in the current you know, internet advertising world and are often banner blind to ads. They don't like ads. They don't like things that don't teach them something. They, they don't like anything that's transactional up front. That means for brands and organizations, whether you are an e-commerce brand who are often educating because the same thing is, is true for them, or whether you're a B2B technology company like Big Commerce is, what that ultimately means is that in order to win con- customer and prospect trust or even industry trust and recognition, a lot of times you got to be writing some really good, valuable content that truly educates uh, without trying to heavily sell your product. Uh, And you have to do that again and again and again and again in a very, very reliable way so that your brand begins to become um, a, when someone says, you know, big commerce, they think, oh, the big commerce blog, I've been there multiple times, I've learned X, Y, Z things. Those people know what they're talking about. Somebody who has that perception of our company is much more likely to come in and start a trial with us and ultimately to buy. And one thing I'm trying to do in this podcast is that every single episode, I'm trying to make them timeless or evergreen so that we talk about things that in five years or 10 years or even 50 years, hopefully that should be still relevant somehow. So do you feel like content marketing is a fade, uh, like Bitcoin, or is it more like, uh, is it more something that that's going to stay because it's really ingrained the fundamentals of what marketing truly is? Yeah, I mean, it's it, that's a fantastic question. I think content marketing is here to stay for the next 50 years, for sure. You see journalism hubs now. So, so magazines and newspapers are beginning to really not necessarily latch onto this idea of content marketing, but they're bringing something to the forefront called uh, content and commerce, which is you know the writing of content to educate people on a product or on a service and that, that is suddenly making a lot more money for, for those publishers who have been struggling to pay writers, you know, decent salaries for a really long time. On the flip side of that, you have technology companies that are higher content marketers like me and content marketing teams. I mean, ours is small, but I know tons of other tech companies or their content marketing org is just massive. They're paying those folks a lot to write content to ultimately get people into the funnel and buy a service. So I think right now what we're seeing is that, you know, some of those more traditional publishers are really seeing what technology companies have been able to do and the hubs that they've been able to build. E-commerce companies are doing very similar stuff. I mean, you look at, you know, Yeti Coolers has like an entire section on their site dedicated to just writing these amazing stories. Gear Patrol, which has been doing product journalism for a really long time, was acquired by Hearst to help teach Hearst how to do that kind of content marketing incredibly well. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it's going to continue now the format might change, right? Which is right now, you know, really long form content works well, video works really, really well, but the video market will become oversaturated and then you'll, you'll begin to see things shift 
Gen Z also in particular is um, much more interested in in-person events because the world is cyclical in, in that way. So I'd imagine a lot more organizations and content marketers are going to really be beefing up their event throwing skills and their, their pop-up skills as well. I need to give out to you because you used the M word 10 minutes ago, like you, you said millennial and then you said Gen Z. Mm-hmm. That's two worlds that are forbidden in everyone hates marketers. Oh no. Exercise. <laughs> it's, yes, I guess there are, we can generalize to the point that yes, uh, experience are coming back, events, uh, people enjoy like going to places and concerts instead of, instead of just watching videos and all of that. But the reason why I'm, I'm challenging on this is that I think it's, it could be dangerous to maybe generalize an entire population based on on global trends although it seems to be that yes video definitely is, is getting crazy events and experience based uh, stuff is getting uh, quite popular but as you said it's like it's cyclical, yeah sure right? and i and i can totally rephrase people under the age of 60 or 50 <laughs> around the globe do not like transactional ads because they are used to being online Definitely. and having those transactional ads in their face. And those just plain don't work anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it doesn't work, although although billions are being spent uh, still on those, well, right? Sure. Um, and and, and re, so. retargeting ads often <laughs> seem to work. Uh, and then, of course, you know, ads on, I mean, TV ads still seem to work really, really well, both for like that age population as well as 100% the, the, the older population as well. Yeah, I think, I think the, the main thing to say here is Ads will work and will continue to work, uh, not in the way we expect them to work, instead of, oh, I'm watching this ad, therefore I'm going to buy straight away, but more in terms of very, as you mentioned, top of the funnel brand awareness, whereby you, when you think of, let's say, a category like tires, you want to buy tires, you only have generally two or three brands that come top of mind. And this is due to you being exposed to advertising and, and content and all of that for years and years and years for you to be able to make this choice and say, when I need tires, I go to this right. brand, right? So it's a, such a long, long, long-term thing. And it's all, as you mentioned, as, as, as in your bio, you mentioned omni-channel, but this is kind of what it is, right? It's, it's a content is part of it. Content is part of right. The yeah, I mean, content is part of the you know getting net new customers and prospects in. Con- content's also part of the building of a community, and then that community goes out and shares word of mouth. Right, it's even part of of retention marketing. So it it plays a role throughout the entire funnel. Right. Let's dive into to the how to and the practical stuff, and I, I'm going to stop trying to uh, to play devil's advocate <laughs> for this one. So. Take me back to one year ago. Where were you? How were you doing content in big commerce? Oh, gosh. How were we doing content a year ago? So decently similar to how we're doing it now in that we were and remain very focused on uh, keywords. So we're, we're a very SEO KPI-driven organization, at least in terms of our content marketing uh, organization here. So we do a bunch of keyword research, and then we go and write content. Now, what I'll say has changed since then is a year ago, we would say, okay, XYZ topic is clearly important. There's a lot of traffic on it. Here's all the other articles that are doing really, really well on it. Here's a bunch of customers we can reference as examples. Here's a bunch of research we've done. And then we'd go out and... A, either try to find a freelancer or a partner to write it. Um, Freelancers kind of would struggle. We, we do have a couple that, that we rely on pretty heavily now. 
but freelancers historically would struggle to write at the kind of level of expertise that we wanted them to. Our, our target, target audience are businesses that are making at least $1 million in annual online revenue. So we're not talking like low, low-hanging fruit tactics here. We're talking like, okay, you, you're driving some traffic. You need to have an expert explaining things to you. Or we try to go have partners write them. Uh, and essentially what we'd get back from either one of those sources was some of it would be very promotional. Some of it like wasn't even always in complete sentences. A lot of it didn't make sense. And it, was, it just took more time editing it. So I said, screw it. I'm just going to write it all. And I did, which is great. Like I'm a very fast writer um, and that has served me very well, certainly um, here and being able to kind of multitask in that way. But clearly that is not incredibly scalable. Um, it was really helpful for us at the time because it got us to, I mean, it, that helped to grow our blog, you know, 10x. And it helped to kind of land us as a, a position and, and myself in particular, a position as a real thought thought leader in the industry, which is fantastic, but again, not incredibly scalable to have one human being writing the vast majority of long form content that you're producing. Right. So you realized that it wasn't that scalable, that it was difficult for to talk to freelancers and, and make them basically fit your voice and your, your brand and talk about the level of expertise. So so now let's talk about how you do that. Now. Like how do you do how do you scale content in your organization without a huge budget, as close as zero as possible, without a lot of ton, a ton of freelancers and relying on on um, on partners. So if you had to teach someone listening to this podcast right now who have a company or looking to, to, to get into content to do this, you know, to scale that using partners, how would you tell them to do it step-by-step? Step, what step, would be step one, one be to figure out what keywords you want to go after, what keywords in particular you think or you have proof will convert people for your organization. Do a bunch of research, copy everything Google tells you in the suggested search box at the bottom, as well as in the um, pop-up. Gosh, what is that even called? Anyways, that little pop-up that shows up there, there's a bunch of questions. Copy all of those down, move all of that uh, information into a Google Doc, look through the top you know, 10 articles that are showing up for that keyword, take a bunch of those H2s. Put those in your document and then build out a super extensive outline with every single H2, H3, H4 already built out and headlined and then hand that off to partners. It is amazing how well they can just go through those sections, add in the content that you need, and then you can get that stuff up and ranking within a ridiculously small amount of time. All okay. right, so let's, let's back up a bit. <laughs> That's good. At least I, I have the, uh, the summary. So now let's dive in. So first of all, you say yes. do keyword research. So we are not going to go into a crazy amount of details on, it, on the keyword research because I think the, the, the connection with partners and how you find them and how you get in touch is also important. But so step one, you do keyword research. How do you do it? How do you advise to do it? I know tools are important and in five or 10 years, those tools you will mention are probably not going to be there. But how do you advise to do keyword research in the first place? Yeah, so we use Ahrefs or Arefs, however anyone listening says it. So we, we use that tool, which is incredibly helpful. So the Mar- Market Muse is the second tool that we use. And that is um, a tool that believes in Google using keyword clusters for their algorithm 
rather than just kind of in, in individual terms. And everyone listening can, can go look up kind of what that means. There's just a bunch of theories out there around it. And I am not here to dispel any of those or any of that, but we essentially drop our content in there. Uh, it'll essentially show us what keyword cluster we we would likely rank for as well as other keywords to add into the into that content in a way that doesn't really change the the context or the meaning of the content but does help us rank really quickly. Excuse me to to interrupt you but so let's say we are selling tires, right? <laughs> then what you start doing is just you're basically trying to input any type of keywords that people will be looking for like tires, buy tires and all of this kind of stuff, yeah? Yes, but you would be doing that in Google, not market news. Now, now Ahrefs could help you a little bit there, but I'm a big believer, as is our, our SEO lead here, that Google will tell you everything you need to know about what it is looking for. So if you uh, need to sell tires, uh, thinking through just the, the top of the funnel, like, you know, like what tires are the best, which isn't even all that top of the funnel because clearly somebody needs them at that point. But anyway, what tires are the best? Typing that into Google and seeing what pops up. Uh, they're going to have something likely that shows up there in position zero. They're also going to have uh, stuff pop up there that will showcase other questions that are often asked and relevant to that topic. And then if you scroll on down to the bottom, it'll show you additional related searches. We copy and paste all of that information from Google over into an outline, organize it in the way that we think is the most relevant and, and informational. Uh, we'll also then go through a bunch of the blog posts and stuff that show up there, understand... So let me oh, cut you there again, because... This is this is super interesting and important. Yeah. So you you have a bunch of keywords in a Google Doc at this stage, yeah? Yes, they're they're not keywords; they are phrases. Okay, so you're going as far as basically phrases like questions mainly. Yep, yep, questions. Okay, so you're listing all of those questions that pop up. So you take hours and hours. You go through Google based on you go into a rabbit hole of Google search, right? Because you don't believe the amount of stuff people search for. So you basically go through all of that and you write them down, you copy and paste, and you put that in a Google Doc. Yep. So the reason why you're focused, why are you focusing on sentences and questions instead of just short keywords? Sure. It's because it's it's what Google is ranking faster than anything else. And our goal is to rank number one or at least in the top three, but ideally number one on, or number zero on every single piece of content that we're publishing. Google cares a lot about questions. It also, again, based on that cluster theory that I mentioned earlier, the articles and the content that seem to answer the most questions relevant to an individual search seem to get ranked the highest. So why wouldn't mm -hmm. you go and take everything that Google is recommending is relevant to that and include all of that in, in an article? So at this stage, you have questions like you have a, a list of all the questions how do you figure out which one goes nicely into one article yeah so that's a good question and a lot of that just comes from us knowing our, our audience really well right so one clearly we're going to remove any questions that we don't feel like we can actually answer that aren't relevant to our audience if if we want to write an article on e-commerce platforms and something shows up in there that either we don't do really well or that we don't feel like is incredibly relevant, we'll, we'll just remove that, right? Now, we often stack rank them, though, put an H2 on top of that, put most of those in H3s. Typically, that H2 is going to be e-commerce platform FAQs, 
again, because that's what people are often searching for when they're looking for answers to those individual questions. We also have a table of contents on all of our content. So it, Google can accurately pull the exact place that the content is within the article because they're all anchor right. linked. So let's define a few things. So what you, when, you, when you talk about H1, H2, H3, they refer to the HTML tags that are basically H1 would be the title, H2 will be the main subtitle, H3 will be the, the sub-subtitle, et cetera. Yep. Okay. So let's say you, we have identified like five questions regarding tires, like what is the best, what are the best tires for winter driving? What are the best tires for summer driving? What are the best tires for rains and that kind of stuff? Let's say we have five of them and they seem to be related to each other. It seems like there is something there where you can write about. So f- first, that's what springs to mind is why wouldn't you write an entire article about one of them in particular? Why do you decide to put them into a master article, should I say? Right, yeah. So with that particular example you gave, it actually sounds like you might want to do an entire article on it because why you'd recommend certain tires for winter is going to likely be very different than why you'd recommend certain tires for spring or summer. Um, That's not Mm -hmm. true for every question, though. A lot of questions can be answered really simply with a yes or no and a very short little quip. Clearly, those are the ones that deserve to be in a longer form article related to the topic. Anything that you find in there that could be expanded upon or, and this is a really great test for it, just go and type that question into Google, see what the search volume is and what other relevant things are showing up there. And if the search volume is really high and if you think that you have a really great chance of, of ranking for that content and displacing who's already there, then heck yeah, you should write a long form article on that and do this whole process again for, for that term. So the questions are, are complete enough so that people looking for the answer can get a quick answer out of it. And then you, you just bundle them into an article. Can you, give me, can you give me an example of an actual article you wrote with a few questions that you answered within there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, almost every single one that, that we write, we, we do this. So, I mean, bigcommerce.com slash blog slash e-commerce dash platforms. <laughs> is a great one. We have one on Instagram shopping, which which ranks number one that, that's showing up there. We have one on personalization. I mean, a bunch of them. vast majority of our articles are written in this way. And you'll, you'll see that in our table of contents. You can go there, read through the table of contents real quickly. Most likely you're going to see an FAQ on that topic. Uh, we even do this for our product news posts. Like the other day we released something called Checkout SDK, which allows people to, to, to customize their checkout. Not a large amount of search volume there, but it's very important and influential for developers and agencies. Uh, as a result, we want to make sure that even though it's a product news post, we rank really highly for it. So we went ahead and added an FAQ area to it, which helps. It just a, a lot of this is thinking through people don't have a lot of time, right? When you mm-hmm. land on a piece of content, you stay there depending on the length, if there's a video, if it's relevant to, to what you are looking for, if they are answering FAQs, if it's salesy or not. And Google's taking all of that data and information and feeding that back into their algorithm, right? So you want to make sure that somebody gets there and feels like they aren't being sold to, feels like they can stay on the page a lot, even, even or for a while. Even more helpful if they click on something, right? So if you have links in there, if you have H6s, if you have things that say like copy and paste this, 
a lot of that's really, really helpful because that's just sending information back to Google that that person's actually engaging with your content. And FAQs are some of the like very, very top of funnel. I'm trying to research this and I have a lot of questions thing that, that consumers are looking for. And we make sure that almost every single one of our articles, especially if it's a top of funnel article, has an FAQ section within it. So uh, we've been quite technical, right, uh, in, in, in those first 20 minutes together. And I think it's or 25. I think it's important to reiterate something. Like the reason why we talk about SEO and Google and H1, H2 tags and, and all of that is because this is just a mirror into people's minds, okay. right? This is what people are looking for. So this is therefore what they are searching, what they are thinking, the problems are they are suffering from is on Google. Like people are searching for all of their problems every day. Like I don't remember how many billion searches there are every single day on Google only. So it's just a way for you, Tracy, the way you, you talk about it, it's just a way for you to read your customer's mind better so that you can create the right things for them, solve their problems so that in turn they trust right. you and they might buy from I mean, a- absolutely. I mean, Google is a fantastic directional source in terms of we think this topic is important. Does it have search traffic? If it doesn't, then we're likely the only ones who thinks it's important, right? Or if it does have a lot of search traffic, what are the other things that, that people are confused about or that people are questioning or that um, aren't being answered by the content that, that exists there? How can we go solve that for them and provide that for them? Google will reward us for doing so. Is, is it hard to do so? Does it make content longer? Does it take a longer time to produce it? Yeah, but that's the whole point, right? You, want, you don't want to produce any work that nobody finds. You want that content to be as high up in Google as possible because that's your opportunity to touch the prospect and begin pushing them down, down your funnel. So let's say in an ideal world, we have this, an outline of an article with a few questions that are part of it that fit nicely into mm-hmm. the topic, right? And you started to touch about the fact that you, you would send that to partners uh, directly. So let's say you've decided to write about, uh, about tires again, those winter tires. And there are a few questions related to winter tires, all right, that you're going to answer in this article. Once you have that, what do you do? Well, so we've been focusing a lot on questions uh, so far talking talking here, but questions are, are, I'd say, a smaller smaller part of the article. Again, you'll see in a lot of our articles, we include them, but they're included closer to the bottom. It's more like a wrap-up before our executive summary. What's also incredibly important, though, is just hitting on those relevant topics. So for tires in the winter, without me doing a Google search, I'd imagine that if you are looking, say, um, at the U.S., there's a lot of different winter types, right? There's going to be places where it snows a lot, where it rains a lot, and as a result, there's sleet. Or maybe you're also talking to both a U.S. audience and an Australian audience, and in Australia, it's freaking summer. So making sure that you are addressing all of those issues appropriately with, within the content both in the title, right? So maybe it's, you know, how to choose the best winter tires in the U.S. broken down by geography, which lets somebody know exactly what they're getting. And then as soon as they land there, making sure that there's a table of contents for them that they can say, I live in the Southwest. Perfect. Click on that. I don't need to read the rest of the content. For you, that's great because you just got to click on your site, right? Which shows to Google that somebody engaged and is liking the content. And then the FAQ portion of it comes later. So you still are providing that educational content on, 
hey, in the Southwest, these are the individual factors that you have to think about. And maybe in one state, actually buying in the winter, there's also increased taxes. Again, I haven't done any research, so that is probably not even true. But maybe there's small things like that that are really important that you find in your research that other articles aren't talking about um, and just making sure that that you're including all of that in there and structuring it really well for them. Keep in mind, again, people are on the go. They're looking for fast information, trustworthy information. Um, bullet points are really helpful. Anything that speaks to their location or their personal situation is helpful, which is why breaking down by geography is fantastic. Pull out quotes are helpful, especially if it's something, you know, that that you think is really important. People tend to will use tools like like Hotjar and others to to see how people are reacting on the site. And people will highlight those pull out quotes, right? It's just kind of part of that reading process. People are trying to get through the info. But ultimately at the end of the day, what your table of contents is, which for us pulls out our H2s. So what we deem to be the most important topics in the article. If you were to look at that and, and read through the table of contents, you should be able to get a dang good idea of everything that we're going to cover in there, as well as be able to hop around to the stuff that you think is most important without missing any relevant information on the way. That is really important, one, for humans, but also because as Google's al- algorithm continues to get smarter and smarter, it functions based on what humans want. Uh, so if it's built for humans, if it's built for that kind of reading experience where, yes, it's long because you want to get the right keyword cluster in there, but but it allows people to browse, it allows people to scroll really quickly and still find the information they're looking for, then then you win. So it's all about really understanding people so well that you can write exactly what they're expecting, what they want and the answers that they want. So now we don't have budget. We don't have freelancers to rely on. We are a small team. How do you advise then people to move on to writing these things? And you have an interesting take on it. So how do you deal with partners and what do you mean by partners? Right. So BigCommerce has tons of partners. I mean, like three, 5,000 plus. We have agency partners. We have technology partners. So think of um, the smile.io's of the world or even, you know, the, the hot jars of the world. There, we have SBD partners, so strategic business development partners like Amazon and PayPal. And historically, we would go to them and say, hey, PayPal, we want to write an article about checkout options or payment options on our blog, and we'd love for you to be the author. And they'd say, great. And they'd send over like 500 words of why PayPal is the absolute best checkout option online. And that just is terrible, right? Uh, And then we'd go back and forth and they'd get upset because they had spent time doing it. And then we get upset because it's not what we want. And then, you know, there's just not fantastic communication. Then we moved to, okay, let's, let's build out content guidelines and explain to all these people what we want, which is we want at least a thousand words that include at least three real examples of customers doing this on big commerce that we can reference and show people exactly how to do. And you need to include data and stats. And um, you also probably need to include other tools similar to yours. Yours can be the first in the list, but recommend other tools too, because if you just recommend yours, super salesy and not helpful, right? And most partners came back to us. Some even went to our CEO and complained about it. And we're like, I don't understand why, why your content guidelines are so difficult to hit. There's absolutely no way we could do this. This is absurd. Nobody does content like this. Um, it's like, all right, great. Mm. So most of them told us no, or would just get really upset about how long it was or about how, how extensive those were, or 
if they did write content out, we would often get it back. And it was pretty clear that they had farmed it out to somebody whose English might not have been their first language um, or who was really, really junior within an organization. And as a result, the piece read crazy small business or was impossible to read at all. And now you have a partner who's upset because they've paid for something or an employee has spent hours writing out a really long piece that still doesn't meet our quality expectations, right? Um, so that, that just wasn't fun for anybody. So what we do now is we build out very extensive guidelines. We still ex- expect our partners to write a thousand words or more. We still expect them to go through and find examples. But the difference is we are handing over, it's kind of like going, and this is like the worst way to think about it, but it's kind of like going to a kindergarten class and just saying like, okay, everybody, like write about your family and the things you did this week and just seeing what you got back versus handing them a worksheet that's like, what did mom do this week? What did dad do this week? What did your brother or sister do this week? You're going to get a lot better answers from that second one because you focused their attention and you've made it a lot easier for them, right? It also takes a lot less time. They're not starting from scratch. So that that's exactly what we do. We hand over an outline. So we work with them, figure out a topic, which often is a topic that we need to rank for. And we get out, we get an outline to them. They get to decide what the headline is. Um, typically the outline comes with like, you're cool headline here, include this keyword. And then the rest of it is the, these are your H2s. These are your H3s. Um, some often those will be, you know, if say we're talking about retention marketing, like retention marketing examples, and then it's example one, example two, example three, like we're not writing it for them, right? But we are showing them exactly what we need and where we need it. And we're pretty strict that if we get something back that did not follow our, our outline at all, it's not accepted, right? Like we, we mm. sent you the outline and from partners as well as from freelancers, because at this point we just do it across the board. We've just gotten in the habit of it. We hear time and time again that this is incredibly helpful. This is saving hours on writing. This is the best direction we've ever received. And it, we just get much, much better quality content back and content that we don't have to edit extensively. But that's to say that historically we would completely rewrite articles and put other people's names on them because the communication process just hadn't gone you know, as planned. So let's say I'm not big commerce and I'm not a big company, we're a small company or even a consultant, a freelancer without budget or anything. How do you, how do you even convince other, other people to, to, to write for you? Yeah, that is a fantastic question. And my best advice for that is to begin to build out a partner and influencer network. And to do that, you can use a tool called Buzzstream. Now, this likely will mean that you will need to write, you know, the majority of your content, maybe for like the first three months or so. And on, you don't need to publish every day. BigCommerce only publishes like two or three times a week. And we're scared to even go up more from there because it's just more work, right? So don't, don't hold yourself to any crazy output numbers. You just, you, you, you want to hold yourself to, to a quality standpoint here, right? So let's take retention marketing again. If I can't find anybody to, to write that for me with, without budget, I will go through and find, and Buzzstream will allow you to do this, go through and find all of the people that are experts at retention marketing, customer loyalty marketing, whatever all the keywords are showing up as relevant to that. Go and find all those people, find their email addresses, build out a list, and then email all of them and say, hey, 
we are writing, and again, Buzzstream will let you do this in bulk, so it's fantastic. We are writing an article on retention marketing. You're an expert in the space. Would love if you could answer this one question about retention marketing. And typically what we ask is, what's your number one tip for e-commerce people for retention marketing? And you'll be surprised how many people will get back to you because every influencer, every brand out there knows that they need backlinks and they want to be mentioned and they need that thought leadership and content marketing is important. You will be surprised how many of them will email back with like, you know, a two to three sentence recommendation or tip, right? Takes them two seconds. And then you, after you've gone through and built out your outline, gosh, I have some examples of some old ones that we're about to update on BigCommerce where, where we did this. So I have some examples I can send. But go through, build out your outline, add those FAQs in, all of that. And then at the bottom, add a section that says something like 20 retention marketing experts on their number one tip for retention marketing and drop all of those in there, link back to them. And when that article goes live, you email out to them and let all of them know that it's live. And here's the links where you can help share it. Thanks so much for all of your insight and all of your help, so on and so forth. Most of them, a lot of them are likely going to email back saying, thank you. Like, let, let me know if you ever need help again, so on and so forth. And at this point, and especially after you do that with a couple topics, you're beginning to build a network, right? You're beginning to build people that you can rely on. And on top of that, you're beginning to get in front of other content marketers and influencers in the space and build up a reliability with them in terms of your ability to produce high quality content. Those are the people in the future who are going to help you write that content. But yeah, first, first you're probably gonna have to do it yourself. So yeah, and what I like about your, your approach is that first, okay, you write stuff yourself, you produce content yourself. It doesn't mean writing necessarily. I mean, this podcast is an example. I'm not writing right. much, but I'm doing podcasts and I'm interviewing someone new every time. And the second step, instead of just sending an email to say, hey, Tracy, there's this article I'd like you to write on everyone hates marketers, because why not? And here is the outline and, and all of that. That's going to be quite difficult to, 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 for you to say yes. Unless in the past, I've asked you to contribute to an article, to leave a quote about content marketing or retention marketing or, or, or e-commerce and this is how you build a relationship. So, I mean, you are basically laying out how to how to make friends and how to build connections in, in a professional true. world. It is true. That's my favorite right? book, How to Make Friends or how, how to Win Influencer. Oh, God, I can't remember the title. Everyone knows it. It's that popular book. <laughs> when, how to Make Friends and uh, I yeah, need to fucking it, find anyways, it. Anyway, fantastic book. Every time I tell people it's my favorite, someone, someone always says, uh, you, you know, Charles Manson used that. And I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. I'm like, oh. cause it's really good. It's how you convince people of things. <laughs> like, so how, how to win friends yeah. and influence people by, by free delivery. No, that's the delivery method by Dale. Yeah. Carnegie. Yeah. 1936. Anyway, that will be in the resources at the bottom of this episode, as usual, on everyonehatesmarketers.com. But I guess this is a nice way to go. So you write article first, you publish content yourself, you then start to ask for quotes and, and input. Uh, another thing that we've done in Hotjar in the past is basically to also add input when an article is almost being published or to get their input when it comes to does it make sense or get people's input on the title. Uh, that's quite nice. Sometimes people come up with crazy good title. Uh, so don't be afraid, I would say, to to ask for others outside your company or organization to 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 and get them involved in the creation of the of the content, not only on just promoting it. Right. You want them right. To yeah. I mean, it, right? I, I, we actually did that very early on at, at Big Commerce, which was 
okay, we're, we don't have maybe the relationships built quite yet to prove to someone why they should even spend those two minutes to write an answer back to us, right? So instead, we'd build out the content, design it out, make it beautiful, make it super smart, and then send them a preview link and say, hey, this is going to publish in two weeks. We really want to make sure that we aren't speaking in um, a vacuum, right? We want influencers and experts' advice on this. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Also, we'd love to include a, a, a quote or a tip from you if you just want to answer this quick question. And what that's doing is showing someone who's never heard of you before your content quality, what, what your content quality is, what it's going to look like, um, rather than just them assuming and trusting that your site or, or the work that you do is going to be something they'd want their name associated with. And with this, with this process, how many pieces are you publishing a, a week? So right now we publish about three pieces of content a week and we just went up this past summer. So we were only publishing two. Um, most of our content includes influencer content and quotes. I, I send out um, an influencer and expert uh, email both to influencers and experts I know in the space and I've built these relationships with over time, as well as to all of our partners. And I, I send that about each quarter. And it's based on all the content I know we have coming up. What's your number one tip on email marketing? What's your number one tip on whatever, right? And then as we build that content out, I'll add that in. And then we have an outreach process, right? Um, and all of that is just very helpful. But we've, we've, just, we've had to learn to flex that muscle over time. A lot of this for us started with the, the skyscraper approach, which I'm sure everyone's heard of. And if not, look it up. It is a like painful, you will hate creating content process, but it works. We did that about maybe a year and a half, two years ago, um, followed that process for about two to three months for almost every piece of content we had. And then after that had built the proper relationships and the proper domain ranking and the proper strategy that worked for us to not do that process anymore and instead do something that was more scalable and, and fit better. So if you are completely lost, go check out, like look up skyscraper technique, or skyscraper content strategy. No joke, it's going to be painful, but follow every single point in those for at least at least a month for the content that you produce or say maybe at least 3 posts and by that point in time you will have begun to prove to people that you really can produce the quality content that they'd want their names associated with and it's going to help you get get those folks to respond to your emails. So yeah, the skyscraper technique, it was coined by Brian Dean from Backlinko. And it's basically the, the concept of, uh, of picking this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher his method, but let me try to explain in my own words. It's basically the concept of trying to pick, to get, produce the best content on the internet for a specific topic by focusing on what? Am I, am I confusing that with the 10x content by Rand Fishkin or am I getting lost here? It's very, very similar. I actually don't know what the difference between the two of those are, but yeah, it's you are producing or working to produce the absolute best content on the internet on a given topic. It's hard. His The skyscraper technique does have specific points in there about influencer outreach, preview links, the data that you might need to include. That's of course, because it's coming from Backlinko, which is an SEO organization and none of us are anything without those backlinks. Yep, exactly. So one thing I would say, though, and it's interesting to hear from you saying that, is like you're scaling your content way more, so three, four pieces a week. And I'm not disrespecting the quality of the content you're putting out there, but it's clear that 
what you're doing now is really trying to reach as many people as possible to produce good quality content, but it doesn't have to be necessarily the best answer on the internet for every single thing you're writing about, right? It needs to be good, straight to the point, giving the answers they're looking for, but it, you're not killing yourself to that every single article must be kind of this golden article that people will actually, you know, remember no, for the rest of their life. Yeah, definitely not the golden article, but yeah. So we're not looking for like the A plus content, right? But we definitely want like a solid B plus or an A on every single piece. What's helpful about us is one, because we've been following this process for for two years. And again, for two years, only publishing twice a week. Um, us upping up to three now is because partners and other people in the industry have seen what we've been doing and they are reaching out to us saying, give us a talk. We will do whatever it takes. We will write however long it is. We will include whatever data. We actually did this proprietary study. Do you want that? That clearly makes it much easier to produce more content, right? right? Where it's like, oh, awesome. Like you're willing to, you know, write 5,000 words for us. Fantastic. We can tell you exactly what to write. Um, but to get to that process, clearly we, we had to prove over the long term that we knew exactly what we were doing and that it, it was a repeatable process and that we were making other people out there really happy by, by doing so. So we're, we're in that unique position now. And if you start now, you know, a year and a half from now, you will also be able to scale up in that way. But first you have to begin to flex the muscle of knowing how to produce that absolute best content, knowing how to spot it, also building out your community and, and your networks because you do need people to backlink to you. You do need the help of getting people to immediately begin circulating it once it's out there. Even with skyscraper content, it is not a produce it and they will come. It is a produce it and continue working your butt off to get people to see it. We're lucky now, again, because our, our domain ranking is really high and because of the processes that we have that almost any piece we put up will rank very will rank on page one very, very quickly. Um, and then we need, we work to get it up e even higher than that. Um, but that's that, that's part of following a scalable process over over you know a couple of years. So yeah, things are not getting easier in the realm of content as we talked about it uh, from from the f first minute is it's here to stay. It's rooted in people's behavior. It's people don't want to be sold to. They hate to be sold to, but they love to buy. They love to learn yeah. new stuff. And therefore, content is, is one of the ways to do it. It almost always existed. The reason why we're so wired to stories is because since the dawn of times, we've been telling stories to each other. That's a way to, to socialize. I'm from Clermont-Ferrand in France, Clermont. And I don't know if you know that, but Michelin, Michelin, the tires are from there, right? Okay. And Michelin is actually one of the first companies that did content marketing very well more than a century ago. Uh, they did this guide for cyclists uh, to teach them how to, oh, no, right? right? And it turned into the, the Michelin guide, right? And the restaurant and all that. And right. that was purely content marketing. And those two companies, it's the same company. They, they do restaurant guide. They also do tires. And because the two are connected by, by traveling, right? So... Another big right. example is the Bible, but I don't want to get into that because that's another type of content marketing. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, you know, Air Airbnb has has their magazine now. They're doing some some really cool stuff. Uh, what other like more out there content marketing? Uh, I mean, any kind of podcast that like a company that's a company's podcast, you know, it, that that's part of content marketing, right? So like, there's. There's a bunch of really fantastic content marketing out there. Again, none of us want to be marketed to, but the vast majority of the content marketing, I won't say that, 
a lot of content marketing is very, very educational, very interesting, very helpful. Um, and all, and it's, you know, the brands are helping make sure that the people producing that stuff are getting paid what they deserve to be paid to produce it. So that's helpful. So yeah, thanks for, for, for going through this step-by-step step with me and for challenging uh, my thinking. And I think you've you're giving a lot of food for thought for, for people listening. So thanks for doing that with me, especially because we need to share a secret with our listeners. I mean, most of the time that's what happens, but we came up with this topic, what, five minutes before this episode? And I think it turned out quite well. <laughs> so I have a few questions before we wrap up uh, that I always ask my sure. guests. Uh, the first one being, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 20 years, 50 years, 100 years? Yeah, there's a topic that I'm beginning to hear more about, and it's going to sound so salesy and gross, but it's uh, like being called, and I'm doing air quotes, the other AI, which is aesthetic intelligence. Um, there's this idea in theory that as AI continues to grow, as artificial intelligence continues to, to grow and become more popular, um, what humans are inherently good at is being curious, talking to their customers, figuring out how to solve other people's problems. I mean, I think I think that is the role that marketers play in today's economy. And I think that's the role that they're going to need to get better and better at playing over the next 20 years, which is the, I am truly here to help you. I write content for you. I write email nurture streams for you. I go and talk to my product marketing team or my product team for you, right? I, I, I have tons of big commerces larger customers and smaller customers email me often with just very random problems. And I work to forward their, their emails off to the right people or ask questions and get them the right answers. We have a support team and we have an enterprise marketing or, or an enterprise account organization that, that manages them and that are their, their real touch points. But because of the emails that I'm sending, because of the way that I'm talking to them, because of the videos they've seen me on, they have built uh, a perception that I'm incredibly helpful, which is great because I do want to be incredibly helpful. The work I do is for them. If I, if anything I produce isn't helping them get closer to an answer or closer to a solve for their problem, then I'm not doing my job well. So I think that's what marketers need to get really good at is resetting the, 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 the mindset. Um, it's not just storytelling. It's helping people, truly, truly helping people find the answers. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, content marketing is one. Clearly, there's tons of other channels in, in a marketing org or in a business structure in general, but we have to truly help the customers, uh, especially as experience really be begins to become an even larger part of uh, what our customers are expecting. Yeah, absolutely. So curiosity, problem solving, and, and being genuinely nice, a nice person that would Right. <laughs> uh, make you a long way. And uh, so if you had to select three resources that you re recommend listeners uh, to, to, to listeners right now, what would they be? It could be anything like books and podcasts and anything. Sure. How to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Again, one of my favorite. I don't listen to or read a lot of business podcasts or books. And instead, I, I read a lot of nonfiction, which I actually find really helpful and not, not business nonfiction, just like other nonfiction, which I find really helpful because it gives my brain a break. But in terms of podcasts, especially if you're interested in psychology and as a marketer, you are, uh, I would very much encourage you to begin listening to more perfect 
which is the podcast about some of the Supreme Court decisions that have happened in the United States. And they dive really deep on the philosophy behind why those decisions were made. Uh, Philosophy, in my mind, is very, very tied up with uh, psychology. And especially as we begin to build closer relationships with our customers, the philosophy of, of, of who they are and why they think the way they think, I think is really important. Um, there's also a free Harvard course online just on YouTube. It's like 16 episodes, each an hour long, called Justice 101, which is a breakdown of philosophy from the history of philosophy. And they just walk you through all these different um, scenarios. And I found that to be not only life-changing, like like personally life-changing for me, but incredibly helpful in in my my role at work, especially as I interact with partners and agencies and, and customers. I think we should, we should have talked about this instead of, uh, of content marketing. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that, we, we can always do another one. Right. We'll see what they, we'll see what listeners think. Yes. <laughs> if they send me emails saying, yes, let's talk about it with Tracy again, then yeah. Um, no, of course, I think that sounds really good as well. And yes, philosophy, psychology, and, and the human mind. And as you said, You say like marketers naturally should be interested in that, but it's not always the case. Um, Some of them are lost in their way because they think that numbers are more important and growth hacks are more important. But definitely in the long term, if you want to win, it's all about people. Always will be. So Tracy, you've been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of those tips and insights and processes and and, um, and all of that with me uh, today. So the last question I have is, where can listeners connect with you and learn more from you? Uh, on Twitter. That's that's where I hang out in my professional life. So it's just Trace Wall, T-R-A-C-E-W-A-L-L. Um, you can DM me there or just follow me or tweet at me and I will get back to you. Uh, I don't let anybody not, I, I don't let anybody get away with saying something to me there without me also saying something. <laughs> so um, it's a it's a very good, quick and easy way. And then also on, on LinkedIn. I mean, I do, I respond to emails and all of that stuff as well. But once again, uh, Tracy, thank you so much. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet. And we always... Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again, and au revoir.
And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.